Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Welcome back, crew, to another amazing podcast episode with me, Leanne, as your host. Today, we have a beautiful soul as our guest expert, the lovely Nina. Nina is a qualified clinical nutritionist and health and wellness blogger with a passion for all things nutrition, health, and well-being. Through her Instagram and her website, she shares informative, evidence-based, and relatable nutrition information and plenty of delicious recipes. Now, Nina developed her passion for nutrition after being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes very young and being a competitive athlete, but this passion took a downward spiral and led to a long battle with a severe eating disorder. Now, Nina's the healthiest and happiest she's ever been, and she works with people all over the world as a nutritionist who aims to educate, support, and empower her clients to learning to fuel their bodies, make peace with food, and truly find health through nourishing their body, mind, and soul. Nina places a strong emphasis on evidence-based, fad-free information and finding your version of balance. So make sure you guys head on over and give Nina a follow on Instagram. Her handle is at naturally underscore Nina underscore and hop on over to her website as well, which is www.naturally-nina.com to check out her two amazing eBooks, which are filled with a wealth of BS-free evidence-based nutrition information and over a hundred wholesome and nourishing plant-based recipes. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. And if you do, please remember to leave us a positive rating or review. It means the absolute world to us. And it means that Apple can um, put our podcast out to more people and spread the evidence-based health messages that we're trying so hard to get through to so many people. I appreciate you guys leaving us a rating and let's jump straight into today's podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Nina. I've been following you for so long on Instagram now, many, many years now. And I've got to say your your recipes, your content, everything that you produce, it's just amazing. And I'd love you to introduce yourself to our listeners a little bit and tell us why why you got interested in nutrition um, in the first place. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the podcast, Leanne. I'm a longtime follower and listener of your stuff as well, and I'm a big fan, so it's a real honor to be here. Um, Well, to introduce myself, I'm Nina. I'm 22 years old, and I live in the very south of Western Australia. I am originally from Switzerland, though, but I call Australia home because I've been living here for a really long time. Um, I am a qualified nutritionist, and I'm also... I don't really like the word influencer, but I have an Instagram and I have a following. So I guess you could call me an influencer. I more call myself a bit of a um, recipe developer and health blogger. And yeah, I have a real passion for evidence-based nutrition and a special interest in eating disorders and sports nutrition. And I'm type 1 diabetic myself and have a past of an eating disorder and doing competitive sport, hence the special interest in those areas. And I've also been plant-based vegan for the past four years as well. So that's basically me in a nutshell. Love it. You're going to be an absolute wealth (laughs) of knowledge for our listeners. Now, can I ask you a little bit more about, you mentioned competitive um, sport Mm -hmm. in your background. What did you, what did you do? Um, I was a swimmer for a long time. So Mm -hmm. I kind of started at the beginning a little bit, 
I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of 9. Um, and that meant I had to naturally pay a lot of attention to the food I was eating, which did give me a real appreciation and awareness of how the food I ate affected my body. Um, it involved a lot of monitoring as well, obviously, with blood glucose levels and insulin dosing. If you're not familiar with the condition, type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune condition where the pancreas doesn't produce insulin. And insulin is the hormone which we need for the body to utilize glucose for energy. So without it, our cells are essentially starved um, and our blood sugar is high, but our cells don't receive that sugar. And we need to, as type 1 diabetics, monitor our blood sugar levels and give ourselves insulin injections or wear an insulin pump. And it is quite a a challenging um, condition to have because there are so many things that do affect your blood glucose levels. It isn't just food and exercise, as most people think. It's also, you know, your um, mood and stress and how much sleep you get and the weather and hormones and so many different things. So basically, unless you want to be like driving a car blindfolded, you do need to pay a lot of attention to what you're eating, um, what you're doing, and you kind of need to be like your own science experiment on a daily basis. So I am a bit of a perfectionist, it's just my nature, and I did develop quite an obsessive and unhealthy relationship with food because I, like, being a really naive 11-year-old a couple of years after I got diagnosed with diabetes, I sort of thought, okay, well, carbs make my blood sugar go up, therefore I can basically, I didn't think of it that way, but you could say cure myself of diabetes which is impossible with type one mm-hmm. by eliminating carbs. So, or at mm-hmm. least, you know, be like everyone else, not have to give myself insulin. Instead, I just would not eat carbs. And if my blood sugar was, you know, a little bit too high or I did eat some carbs, I would go and exercise to get it down. And, um, you know, my numbers were always great. So everyone always commended me on, you know, you're a great diabetic, you're doing so well, but it was it consumed my life. So nutrition was reduced to numbers to me. It was all um, calories and carbs and um, insulin. And it was just all numbers. And my life revolved around that. Basically, I, I went, that went on for many years. And I, I just regret the amount of time that I wasted on this stuff. Like I would spend summer days just swimming laps in our backyard pool um, instead of seeing friends and things. And, and I was a horrible person. I used to scream at my parents when they said I couldn't do laps and things like that. And I really almost lost my life to it. And I lost a lot of parts of my life. I, lo- I lost a lot of friends. I lost a lot of opportunities. But in the end, it was also nutrition that saved me. So when I began shifting my mindset around that, started taking care of my body instead of punishing myself all the time, um, that's when everything changed. But back to the competitive sport, I was I'm a bit of a rambler, so sorry about that. No, okay. <laughs> um, during high school, I was a competitive swimmer and I trained mm. anywhere from two to four, five hours a day. Um, and it was mm-hmm. a massive passion of mine. So swimming was basically my everything. I think it's because of the diabetes partly that, you know, I felt out of control in a lot of areas and swimming mm-hmm. gave me something that I just felt so strong in the water. And it just, it just, you know, I had my friends there and I just loved it. I had a big dreams of making it big swimming for Australia, but unfortunately I wasn't looking after myself 
um, in terms of fueling myself properly. So, um, of course, I was still eating, but with that amount of exercise, you can imagine how much food you would really need to eat in order to sustain that. So I got to the point where I was training more and more and more and I started getting weaker and slower, even though I was putting so much effort into my training. And that was, yeah, because I wasn't eating enough, anywhere near enough to fuel my body for the amount of exercise that I was doing. I was losing weight and I still couldn't see that the answer was food. I always thought, oh, I'm just not training enough and I need to train harder. Even my coaches began, you know, saying, what are you eating? Like, you're just not eating enough. And I wouldn't listen to that. Mm. Um, very stubborn. But eventually mm. I did end up in hospital, which was basically my rock bottom because, of course, swimming was taken away from me and not only swimming but all control was taken away from me. In hospital, for example, like for years I'd managed diabetes myself. In hospital, because of protocol, you're not allowed to do that. So I had to get nurses doing my blood sugars. They had to double-check, double-sign everything. They had to do my insulin doses. And furthermore, it was three hours away from where I lived, which meant I was alone there without my parents, even though they came up a lot and spent a lot of time there, which I'm really grateful for. It was a really, really dark place. And I did spend the next three years in and out of hospital and therapy. And yeah, I was just stuck in a very negative mindset, um, still in a place of denial as well. Um, and yeah, I really couldn't see the light there until I actually got out of hospital, was out of hospital for a little while. And I'd always been vegetarian that time as well, um, since about Mm -hmm. primary school for ethical reasons. And then about five years ago, I stumbled across this documentary, which was called Earthlings. I'm sure you've probably heard of it before. And it shocked me quite a lot. And I decided to go vegan then, which I was still in recovery at that stage, I would say. And going vegan in recovery is really not something that I would recommend because a lot of the time you don't know whether that's coming Mm -hmm. from a place of restriction, even if there is an ethical component to it. Uh, But, you know, without my sport, I was just feeling so lost. And it was something that I really connected with finding veganism because it just aligned so much to my core values and it really allowed me to transform my whole mindset and relationship with food from one that was really centered around self-hate and restriction and seeing food as the enemy to one of nourishment and compassion and seeing food as a form of taking care of myself of self-love and taking care of my body, taking care of the planet at the same time. And it like I really cannot express how much that changed everything. And that's how I know that, you know, eating disorder, it is about the food, but it's really about your mindset towards the food and the relationship mm-hmm. with ha- you have with food and yourself. And I'm not saying like I went vegan and then the next day I was fine. It took a lot of time, a lot of work. But essentially, that's what started paving my path towards healing. And I refound my joy for food. And now I'm not afraid and ashamed to say that I love food. Whereas a couple of years ago, I would have never admitted that. And I would have said, no, I don't like eating. I wish I didn't have to eat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So recovery really did take quite a long time for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they say the average time to recover from an eating disorder is about seven years, which might shock some people, but it does Mm -hmm. take a long time because, you know, those beliefs and feelings and emotions, they're just rooted 
down so deeply and it just takes time Mm. and you know those eating disorder thoughts and behaviors they they don't just disappear but they get less and less over time and your healthy true self gets stronger and the eating disorder gets weaker and that's basically what what recovery is like and it's it's definitely not a linear path either there's always lots of ups and downs and bumps and Mm. hurdles and but you know it's it's really I don't think I've ever, ever come across a single person in the entire world that has said they didn't, that recovery wasn't worth it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, definitely, and I think anyone who has recovered from an eating disorder can relate that it is probably the hardest thing that you ever have to do because it's basically facing your biggest fears, not just once, but, you know, three to six times a day, every single day. Mm. And you have to do that mm-hmm. for weeks and months and years while especially in today's day and age we're constantly surrounded by people dieting and social media um, spreading all of these diet centric Mm -hmm. messages and body goals and and fitspo and all of this stuff which can be really challenging even if like in my case the eating disorder actually didn't stem from you know wanting to look like that model or wanting to be thin it actually stemmed from wanting to be the perfect diabetic but it still plays a big role in maintaining those unhealthy behaviors and thoughts. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree with you. And I love how you sort of phrase it around that concept that these are things that you, I guess these demons that you battle, you know, four, five, six times a day, whereas a lot of people, you know, even at home trying to support loved ones with an eating disorder, they just can't grasp that concept of how difficult recovery is because it's like, just eat, just eat the food for goodness sake. Like we just, we can't grasp that concept of how hard that is. And it's, you're right. It's like facing your worst enemy or your, the thing that you're most scared of in the entire world multiple times a day. Like it's like saying to somebody, go and swim with sharks or go and, you know, look at that big tarantula of spider or something on your wall four, five, six times a day. Like, I think it's just such, like, it's so powerful that you have recovered and that you're able to share these amazing messages with women. But I do have a question for you in terms of anybody who might be struggling with an eating disorder at the moment or really struggling with their recovery. What was the one thing that really got you through or what was like the rock for you during your time of recovery there that really helped pull you through? Um, I want to just start with saying that eating disorders will always tell us that we're not sick enough to deserve help or to deserve recovery, and that's a flat-out lie. Um, No matter what you weigh or what size you are or how much you eat or don't eat, if you think you have a problem with food, then you're sick enough to deserve all the help and all the support that you need to recover and to get Mm -hmm. to a better place with your health and your relationship with food and yourself. And you deserve to reach out for help, you know, to go see a nutritionist, a a dietitian, a psychologist, a therapist, all of that that you need because you are not alone and you don't have to do this alone. And you also don't have to be the sickest person in the entire world in order to deserve help because that's just not true. And no matter how sick you get, it will never be enough or sick enough for the eating disorder. And Mm -hmm. in the end, you have to realize that this is your life and being in such a horrible place, it's harming you and it's harming the people around you as well. And you don't deserve Mm -hmm. that. Every person is worthy of living a happy and fulfilling and healthy life. Um, And, you know, we'll have some stuff to work through and, you know, don't believe that you aren't sick enough or, or that your eating disorder isn't big enough to be able to recover from that or seek help for it. Mm -hmm. But 
what got me through was it was really about doing a lot of inner work with my mindset, not just around food, but my mindset towards everything in general. Um, they say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And it's kind of mm. like what it was with my eating disorder. Like I always dreamed and wished to be free from this, to be healthy, but I wouldn't change mm. anything because I was scared to. And like it's a completely reasonable fear at that time. Not re- it's, it's irrational, but for me it was like, of mm. course, it, I was scared of it, but doing that same thing over and over again and and hoping that one day it will lead to recovery. It's just not going to happen. And we have to be realistic. Eating disorders need you to be, some would say harsh and upfront sometimes because they're very manipulative. Um, They lead, they trick you into thinking things which aren't true. And you just, you kind of like, if you're in an eating disorder, you're always waiting for the day that is going to be the perfect time or it's going to be easier or you're going to find some magical way that you know you can do recovery perfectly and you won't gain too much weight or you can you know maintain some of those sneaky habits but there's never going to be a perfect time it's never going to get easier it actually only gets harder over time and also no one else is coming to save you no one can save you but yourself you have to you know, take that leap of faith and trust the process. Listen to the people who are giving you this helpful advice and that are there to support you. And just know that if you always say, okay, I'll start tomorrow, I'll start at the next meal. It's it's never going to happen because tomorrow never comes. Like there are seven days in a week. Tomorrow isn't one of them. And you have to start right now. Mm-hmm. Even if it's really scary and really hard every time you take that step and you do it it gets a little bit easier and one day you'll look back and you'll you'll think wow I can't believe I used to be scared of this and now I do it every single day and it's not scary at all and it's it's just what I do I think you have to ask yourself am I willing to commit to this process to face my fears to do all these hard things to sit with that anxiety and discomfort in order to achieve health, um, recovery, what I want from my life and Mm -hmm. seeing it as, you know, something that you actually are willing to go through in order to get those benefits at the end. I think it makes it a lot more empowering than just thinking, Oh, I have to go through this to beat my eating disorder, you know, and seeing recovery as something negative because, you know, there's a lot of bad things about it, Mm. but seeing it just as a pathway to get back to health and to really live your fullest life can be something really empowering. And in the end, I think this is, some people might see this as not a very good thing, but I always told myself, like, if I never give it my all and try it out, then I will never know. So why not just, you know, do it, do all the hard things, commit to recovery. And then if in the end I don't like it, I can always go back to what I'm doing now. But if I stay here, then I'll always just be dreaming about it. Exactly. And as you said, that's a hard concept for people to sort of grasp their head around. But when you're so deep down inside that eating disorder, then it's it's just another way out, isn't it? It's just sort exactly. of that light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. It's just another option. And I love how... I guess you acknowledge how difficult it is and how hard it is. And it's almost like it'll get harder before it gets better. Like it could potentially get worse for people in recovery before it gets better because mm-hmm. it is so hard in that moment to do the things that scare you the most and the things that you've been fighting against for so many years and to let go of that control and to just try and recover. Like it almost 
gets worse before it gets better, doesn't it? Yeah. Or in their mind. Yeah. No, absolutely agree with that. Yeah. And I love, I get so many messages, even from, um, you know, mums whose daughters are struggling with eating disorders or disordered eating or have just, you know, very young girls, sort of 12, 13 years old, they've started saying, mum, I'm not eating carbs, mum, I'm not eating this, don't serve me this. Do you have any messages at home for any sort of mums or family members who may be listening who have a loved one who are struggling with an eating disorder? What would you say is something that they can do at home to support their loved ones through this time? Because as you said, it is so difficult and all you know, often they'll just be, you know, the the person suffering from the eating disorder will be screaming back, but it's just because they're hurting so much and they're so scared and they're so confused. How can our loved ones at home support um, loved ones going through eating disorders or disordered eating? I think this is a really difficult question and I, I get asked this quite a lot as well and I never really know what to say mm-hmm. because um, every person's experience of an eating disorder is very different and what's helpful for one person is actually not helpful at all for mm-hmm. other people and I've really noticed that in working with a lot of eating disorder clients as well, you know, my advice from one person to the next and my approach into you know overcoming the eating disorder is going to be quite different but I think the main thing is really just being there for the person and showing your support and your love and unconditional love, you know, no matter what that person looks like or what they're eating, you know, just be there for them, listen to them and validate their experience and their feelings, but also encourage and push them to to fight against those thoughts, you know, Um, be a person who can show another perspective and who can even role model a healthy relationship with food and that it's you know a joy to be around and especially not like have a dieting environment while expecting someone to recover from an eating disorder Mm. um yeah it's definitely a tricky one but I think just really being there for that person is is the best thing we can do and having a lot of patience as well because eating disorders can make people into people that they aren't usually I love that. Yeah. And patience is key. As you said, the mm-hmm. average length of recovery is seven years. It's a really mm-hmm. long time, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Now, Nina, I'd love to bring you back to when you first started um, talking about the type one diabetes. Now you mentioned you were diagnosed really young. Were there any sort of red flags in terms of your diagnosis? Like, did you, did your parents sort of recognize that you were excessively thirsty or any sort of those like diabetic symptoms, or did you just happen to go to a doctor and, and accidentally get picked up with diabetes? So, um, well, I was quite ill for, I'd say, maybe a bit over a week. Mm-hmm. And I just, by ill, I mean just really exhausted, weak, lethargic. I don't mm-hmm. really remember the time all that much. Um, it was a really stressful time at school. So I had two good friends who completely hated each other and they were always fighting over me. And they say that one of the possible triggers for diabetes of course you have a genetic predisposition but one of the triggers is stress so and I think that might have contributed to it actually coming to surface Mm -hmm. um but yeah so I was very thirsty I lost a lot of weight and Mm -hmm. I was already a very slim person so it was quite noticeable and I was peeing all the time actually this is don't really admit this to a lot of people, but I was actually wetting the bed at, you know, nine years old just because I was drinking so much water and mm-hmm. my body couldn't keep up. So um, then actually one of my mum's friends told my mum I should go to the doctors and get a blood test. Mm-hmm. And that call that my mum received from the doctor on, it was actually a Saturday morning that I had to go straight to emergency. I remember that very clearly. And, you know, we. I packed a bag and straight 
they actually offered to airlift me to Perth, which is a three-hour drive away with a helicopter, but we ended up driving. And I remember that I was I was so hungry and I ate a banana on the way up um, to the hospital. I was like, that probably wasn't the best thing when my blood sugars already were that high. Yeah. But, um, you know, of course, that was when my life was basically turned upside down. Mm. But I accepted it really well at that young age. I think it only caught up on me a little bit later with the whole mm-hmm. um, why me sort of mentality a little while later. But um, yeah, I took it on board quite well, I would say. Yeah, for somebody so young. And that actually sort of leads me into my other question. Again, I get a lot of messages from um, people, particularly women who may be diagnosed with, you know, these lifelong conditions, particularly autoimmune conditions, diabetes, celiac disease, perhaps something like inflammatory bowel disease. And as you said, these are types of diagnoses that can absolutely turn your life upside down. So again, do you have any advice for our listeners in terms of, I guess, not letting your condition define you, particularly if you are diagnosed quite young, it can be something that kind of just takes over your life can't it yeah yeah and diabetes is definitely one of those where that is very strong because you know it affects every aspect of your life it's basically a full-time job it's not like you can just take a medication and then it's okay you have to constantly monitor around the clock even at night it doesn't sleep and I really did struggle with that why me mentality because you know from eating disorder recovery to being a competitive athlete to just everyday life diabetes just made everything a lot difficult a lot more difficult and I sometimes was jealous of other people that you know they didn't have to plan their food and calculate their insulin dosages and deal with highs and lows and sleepless nights and all of those things but the one quote it yeah it's a quote that really helped me and that really really resonates with me in this but also in a lot of other areas of life is grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference love it because you know I can't change the fact that I have diabetes but I can still choose to do my best and to make the most of my life and know that no matter what the outcome is doing my best is always going to be good enough you know because sometimes with diabetes especially you can do all the right things you can do the same things as yesterday but everything is completely different you get a different outcome and I used to always blame myself and blame the food for those things but I realized that that wasn't helping me in any way. It was only making the things worse. You know, if I tested my blood sugar and it was high, I would have a tantrum. But how was that helping the situation? It was just making everything Mm. worse. So again, it was really about shifting that mindset and just learning to be a bit more self-compassionate and just be okay with, you know, maybe I have to do things a little bit differently to other people, take a bit of extra time, a bit of planning, a bit of knowing things in advance. But that's okay. It's making me a much stronger and a more resilient person. And instead of looking at these as failures, I try to see them as learning experiences instead and changing my mindset from like, oh, can I do that with diabetes to how can I do that with diabetes? And, you know, everyone else has their struggles and their hurdles to overcome as well. We don't know what everyone else is going through. as bad as that sounds, you know, there are worse things than having diabetes. And I'm, I'm really grateful to live in a day and age where we have, you know, insulin pumps and blood sugar monitors and all of these things. I'm not 30 years ago where we had to measure our blood glucose levels with a urine stick or just blind guess and your, your life expectancy was significantly decreased. Like these days, we have amazing technology here to help us. And, 
yeah, it really does make us mm. stronger and tougher and more resilient people in the end. And it's, yeah, again, I, I will never give up hope though that they will find a cure for it someday and mm-hmm. be the first to admit that. But for now, I'm just doing the best that I can. I love that. And you're so positive. And that's what I, one of my favorite things about you and that you just give so much to everybody else from all your experience as well. Now, I had a quick look through your website, which again, I love. And one of the taglines on your website is nourishing body, mind and soul. Now, I love that. It's such a holistic um, approach to health and it's everything that I believe in. And you've talked a little bit about this, but can you tell our listeners at home what each component means to you and why they're so, I guess, important to health overall? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I chose this actually because starting studying nutrition, I sort of thought it was just about health was just about the food. And mm-hmm. I realized that from my own experience and the experience of others as well, that it actually is not just about the food. And it's not just about like food and exercise and sleep and all of those things. It's actually so much more than that. It's about our relationship with food as well, mm-hmm. which is really, really important. Um, so nourishing the body is like eating wholesome, nutrient-dense foods, mostly plant-based fruits from the earth that's going to provide our bodies with high-quality energy and with all the nutrients to help us both feel and function at our very best. And, you know, this is really important because without our health, we have nothing. And it really does make you feel your best as well as function your best. It's not just about, you know, getting X amount of nutrients. It's really about mm-hmm. just giving your body the tools to help it help you live your best life in the end. And mm-hmm. nourishing the mind is about your relationship with food. So that's how you feel about the foods you eat. Are your food choices coming from a place of self-care or self-love? Or are they coming from a place of self-harm maybe? Are you placing rules and restrictions on yourself? So that's more about your the mental aspect. And then nourishing the soul is kind of a combination of those two things in my eyes. It's about making food choices that serve you best in that moment, which, you know, it might be your grandma's freshly baked cookies when you go and visit her or having a pizza out with friends, or it might be a big nourishing Buddha bowl. But it's really about you know, because that social connection, family, freedom, nurturing yourself is just as important as eating all your fruits and veggies. So it's really about combining all of those three things, which is why you'll see, you know, food, mainly really colorful, healthy, vibrant food on my page. Mm-hmm. But I also be the first to admit that, you know, I love some dark chocolate and, you know, I love going out with my family and friends. And it's really about just finding that place of, where your choices around food come from a place of serving yourself rather than punishing yourself. Mm -hmm. I love that concept. And I always talk to my followers and my listeners about the concept that I talk about um, called soul foods. Mm -hmm. So I always say every time that you eat, you have, you make that conscious decision to either nourish your body or nourish your soul and neither is right or neither is wrong, but just make that decision. And I guess just really own it. Like a lot of people will be like, Oh, I feel like ice cream. Oh, I can't have ice cream. It's really bad for me. It's it's such a bad food. It's, you know, I'm trying really hard to live healthy and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas it's just like, I can have an ice cream and don't stress out about Mm -hmm. it and it's okay and it's not going to automatically make me gain weight. Like a lot of people think about this concept of nourishing your body as 100% Mm -hmm. clean eating and you can't, you know, you can't have a slice of pizza, you can't have one of grandma's freshly baked cookies and I feel like we just have, um, I guess social media has done a really great job at making us even fearful Mm -hmm. about foods and as you said, foods that come from the earth, like things like 
potato. You know, people fear carbohydrates because they think that they're bad for us, but it's that that whole balance between what is going to nourish my body and what is going to sort of just top up my soul a little bit, which I understand might be an overly processed food. It doesn't really have any real nutrition, but sometimes we just want to eat a small amount because it really makes us feel good right mm-hmm. down to our soul. Mm-hmm. So I love that concept that you talk about as well. I'm very much a, a huge believer of that as well. Now, you talked about mental health and um, self-compassion. How much of an impact does that have or that link between nutrition and even recovery as well? Like how important is that? I think it's huge. I think a lot of people underestimate it. Um, Mm -hmm. I personally think that our food choices can only really say so much about our health. And what's much more important is really our mindset behind those food choices. For example, two people can be exactly the same weight eating exactly the same foods and doing exactly the same things, yet one can be really healthy and happy while the other person can be the exact opposite. And it really comes down to the thoughts that we have towards food and towards ourselves. So for example, let's say you choose to eat an apple this afternoon. You could have chosen that apple because you read apples are a good food and they help you lose weight and they're low in calories and you don't deserve to eat anything else. Or you could have chosen that apple because apples are delicious and sweet and crunchy and they're packed with vitamins and other amazing nutrients and they're going to make you feel great. So it's the same action, but it's completely a different mindset. And the two are going to have different effects on your health, both mental and physical. If, if your food choices, even if you're eating, you know, kale and quinoa salad and green juices and all of those things every single day, if your coming at that from a place of restriction and this is all I'm allowed to eat and these are the only good foods, you're not going to be a healthy person. And I think we have Mm -hmm. to realize that if something isn't making you feel positive and empowered and uplifted, then no matter how um, as society deems healthy that action is, it's not actually going to be a healthy thing for you. Exactly. Because like stress and anxiety around food. And if you like you stress out, if somebody offers you a piece of birthday cake on your birthday and you're like, oh, I I can't eat that, that, you know, that gives you stress and anxiety, accepting a piece of birthday cake. Well, I think that that should almost trigger not like a red flag, but it should sort of make you rethink like how healthy are you really being in terms of Mm -hmm. mindset, but also food Mm -hmm. choices? Like it is that real delicate balance, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And it's going to be very individual Mm -hmm. for everyone as well. Definitely. And now I talk about, um, I guess I don't like to call it red flags because some people at home, you know, we've got eating disorders and then we've got disordered eating. And I guess there's Mm -hmm. sort of a very fine line between those two. But if any listeners that are at home may be experiencing a lot of fear or anxiety around food or even something like a simple act of going out to eat with your partner or going out for lunch with your mum, if that gives you stress or anxiety, what would you say would be some, not red flags, but just some things to note for people listening at home, perhaps they might want to go and chat to a professional about, um, you know, their food choices and having a little bit of stress or anxiety. What do you sort of see as that line between, you know, needing to access a professional or just sort Mm of, do you know what I'm trying to say? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, um, Basically, if you're even questioning and thinking, you know, I think, you know, maybe I have a problem, Mm -hmm. then that's a red flag enough for Mm -hmm. you to even just go and chat to a friend or a parent about it if you're not ready to reach out to a professional. But I think definitely a big one is um, really being very rigid around food and exercise Mm -hmm. and weight. Um, 
really experiencing a lot of negative emotions and feelings. So stress, anxiety, guilt is a big one. We should Mm -hmm. never feel guilty after eating unless we, you know, stole that food or killed someone (laughs) to get the food. Um, And also um, isolating yourself, saying no to a lot of um, social occasions and things Mm -hmm. just because you don't want to – be around food or you don't you want to avoid it um not taking enough rest from exercise or feeling like you have to exercise to earn food or burn off food um even just like feeling really conflicted and confused and not knowing what to eat or not knowing when you're hungry and and I know I get a lot of messages every day from people asking, you know, how much should I be eating? Is this too much? Like Mm -hmm. if you feel that way, then go and see a professional because you should not be feeling that way. You should not be reaching to social media um, to, to tell you how much to eat. You either ask yourself, ask within your body or go and see a qualified professional who can give you some guidance until you can get to that place where you can listen to your body again. And also, yeah. Also, wanting to lose weight um, can be a bit of a red flag as well. You know, a weight loss isn't always a bad thing, but it, sometimes it can actually be really conflicting to being healthy. Weight loss isn't always a good thing. And it really depends on your um, reasoning for wanting to lose weight as well. Mm-hmm. So do you want to lose weight because you feel that it would be the best thing for your health and you were deserving of being your healthiest self. I think that's a healthy approach to weight loss. But mm-hmm. are you wanting to lose weight because you want to look like her, you want to have abs, you will mm-hmm. only love yourself when you are X weight, things like that. I think you need to work on your relationship with yourself first before approaching something like weight loss. And then always with women, if you don't have a period, that needs to be addressed. Mm. That is a massive red flag for me. Huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And on that note, um, there is a lot of women who I see, you know, particularly who reach out to me and just sort of say, look, I'm, I'm doing all the right things. I'm exercising seven days a week. I'm not mm-hmm. able to lose weight. And the first thing that comes to mind isn't weight loss. It's the fact that you're exercising seven days a week. Mm-hmm. And that's not healthy. Like mm-hmm. I do maybe four to five sessions a week and that is enough for me. Like my body's almost calling out, like, just go for a walk like four or five sessions plenty those people who are flogging themselves sometimes twice a day Mm -hmm. like at my gym and I've uh, like I want to have these conversations with my gym because they have this wall that's like member of the month and they reward the member that has attended the gym the most and my partner and I have been going to that gym for um, you know quite a while now and never once have we made that wall (laughs) despite making some really great physical gains really eating some nourishing foods like you know what I mean like really making some great gains with our health but because we haven't they're almost rewarding over exercising Mm -hmm. which I don't think is right. So for me, that is a huge red flag as well. Like over-exercising, mm-hmm. under-eating yeah. and missing your period. Absolutely. So women, it's, it's huge, isn't yeah. it? You have to remember that exercise is a stress on the body. And while it's a good mm-hmm. stress, you can also have too much of a good thing. Just like drinking too much water can be bad for you. Yeah. And when you place too much of this stress on the body, whether that's exercise or not eating enough food or intermittent fasting for women is really common in this as well. Mm-hmm. Like your body is going to make adaptations to conserve energy because it is feels threatened um, and it mm-hmm. wants to save energy wherever it can. And it does that through things like, um, you know, reducing hormone production. So you then don't have a period anymore, which then has really mm-hmm. negative consequences on your long-term bone health, for example, and a lot of other things as well. So, you know, that is a clear sign your body trying to tell you, look, something's not right. Please, please, please change something. 
Mm. And there's a very serious condition, um, which we call REDS, isn't there? So relative energy deficiency syndrome. And it's basically um, women or men as well. It used to be called the female athlete triad syndrome, which we now recognize that um, males suffer from it as well. So it's changed the name to REDS syndrome because it encompasses both males and females, where essentially you are over-exercising underfueling or undernourishing your body and one of the symptoms of that is skipping your period mm-hmm. but it's also it can affect your hormones and your bone mineral density and things like that as well and for younger people you know they might think oh great I don't have my period that's wonderful mm. but it is actually yeah. it is so harmful particularly in the long term as well um, and I think that that's something that you don't really recognize how important that is until you really do get older so please if any of our listeners are listening at home and you're doing a lot of exercising and you're constantly dieting or you're constantly you know, feeling starving, but not, in allow, not allowing your body to eat. Plus you, you've got irregular or missing periods. Please, please, please go and touch base with your GP because it is so incredibly important, particularly when you are younger, isn't it? Yeah. And I just want to, on that note, like I'm not an endocrinologist, but I have had a lot of clients who went to see their GP and their GP put them on the pill. Mm-hmm. And the pill is not a solution for when you don't have a period. When you are on the pill, you actually do not have a period. You have what's called a withdrawal bleed. And that does definitely not help bone density according to the evidence that we have at the moment. So if your doctor does suggest that you go on the pill because you don't have a period or they tell you it's normal just because you know, you're know you healthy and exercising a lot, please, please, please go and seek a second opinion and don't take that as an answer. Exactly, because there are just so many different things. And it is quite a, a relatively new, I guess, syndrome, I guess, REDS is. Like it's sort of, yeah. we, we're seeing it a lot more, aren't we, over the last couple of years. And it is something that somebody might just glance at you and think, oh, you look like a healthy body, you're, you're exercising. Perhaps you're just stressed. That's the reason that you're not getting your period. But it is actually... Um, it's so important to really get to the bottom of that. And if you are actually over-exercising and underfueling, that is the answer right there for you rather than taking a medication or a pill or something like that. Exactly. And you don't even have to be underweight at all exactly. to experience REDS. That can happen at any weight and at any body size. Um, and yeah, definitely does not have anything to do with your weight. Mm. Now, I know that we both um, basically, in a nutshell, hate dieting and we're big firm believers Mm -hmm. that dieting doesn't work. And in fact, we actually have research and evidence to support that diets don't work. But as you mentioned before, for some women, they do just want to improve their lifestyle and and become a little bit healthier. And weight loss may be a side effect of that. But without coming from that restrictive or dieting mindset, what are some tips that you have for our listeners at home that they can really help to improve their eating habits and improve their lifestyle? And over time, a byproduct of that may be, you know, some weight loss, some weight loss, which could potentially be okay, could potentially be healthy, but it doesn't come from that place of restriction or mm-hmm. wanting to have a thigh gap or have a six pack. It comes from really just looking after our body and caring for our bodies more. So do you have any tips for our listeners at home to go about that from more of a holistic um, and healthy place? Yeah, I think it kind of exactly what you just said. So looking at food as a way to take care of your body, um, which is your home for the rest of your life, um, to nourish and to fuel your body. So, you know, approaching food as even ask yourself the question, how can I best serve my body through the food that I eat? Mm-hmm. You know, and that might mean making a big Buddha bowl. And, you know, occasionally best serving your body might be having a cookie or some chocolate or something. And that's okay. But the majority of the time, serving your body best is going to be giving it something nutrient dense and wholesome that really allows you to feel your best, to feel fueled and energized. 
And I think also a really big thing is focus on what you can add to your diet instead of always trying to look for things that you can remove and cut out of your diet. You know, if even if, you know, your typical dinner at the moment is a piece of lasagna, why not just start adding some vegetables to that or adding in a piece of fruit to your day or adding a handful of nuts to your breakfast or something like that instead of always looking at things to remove. And if you keep adding more of the good stuff, it's going to naturally outcrowd some of those maybe less nutritious food choices and they'll just be the things that you have here and there. So really focus on what you can add in to make your diet more wholesome and more nourishing rather than trying to remove things and create all these restrictions and rules. I love that, Nina. That is one of my favorite sayings as well, particularly I used to work in the gut health clinic at the hospital and I'd see all the newly diagnosed celiacs. And as you said, it's one of those conditions that can just absolutely turn over your life. Like it's just, it's, it's life changing. And women used to come in with tears running down their face. And I used to say to them, all right, we've We've got all these foods that we now can't eat, but let's focus on all these wonderful things that we can still eat and not focus on the things that we can't eat, but focus on adding lots of other foods in abundance into our diet. Because again, it comes back to that mindset, doesn't it? Like what you focus on is what you're going to um I guess it's going to come through in your emotions and your behaviors as well. So if you're coming from a place of abundance and fueling rather than I want to diet and I want to restrict, like it just mentally it's just so so much more negative, isn't it? Yeah. Wonderful. Now just like diets, we also don't like the scales because <laughs> although they can be helpful for some people, they're just that one marker of progress. So what is your favorite way in terms of measuring progress, maybe for eating disorder recovery, maybe for living a healthy, holistic lifestyle? What do you love in terms of using progress measures for your clients? Yeah. Um, so the only places I ever use a scale is more during recovery when you really just want to make sure you are getting to a place where your body is going to function healthily um, and that even then I will never encourage a person to weigh themselves I will get them to see a doctor or someone or even a parent who can do that for them uh, I don't believe avoiding the scales forever is the answer because I think um, you really need to confront those um let's say triggers and build a healthy relationship with them so you can mm -hmm. step on the scales and see that number and be okay it's just a piece of information it doesn't say anything about my worth it doesn't say anything about me as a person it doesn't mean I have to go and restrict food or anything like that it's just a number and it's everything that makes up me it's my cells it's what's in my bowels at the moment it's all the water in my body it's all my blood so it doesn't scales do not equal fat that's just not a thing um, but really I use a measure of progress more how you feel so your strength your energy levels your joy around life your vitality um your relationship with food how free do you feel like those are all really really important things sometimes weight is just actually most of the time weight is completely irrelevant and it's more what are you doing how are you thinking how are you feeling love it and as you mentioned the scale i always say to my clients it's a one-dimensional number like it, we place so much value on this one number on this metal square and it's like it has the potential to, to derail everything wonderful that we've been doing whereas it's kind of like if somebody in their mindset wanted to lose weight they'd be like oh the scale better go down and despite all of the wonderful healthy things that you've done that week if god forbid you jump on that scale and the number stays the same or it goes up a couple of hundred grams which is absolutely nothing yeah. because you know if 
fluctuations with hormones, water, bowels, that sort of thing. It's just completely normal that then one dimensional number has a power to affect your your changes for the rest of the day, the rest of the week until Monday, you yeah. know, because women love to start diets on Monday. So we place <laughs> so much pressure on this one dimensional number when there are so many other wonderful other measures of success. And, you know, energy levels being one of them, particularly in recovery, but also for living just a general healthy lifestyle, like how much energy that you have. If you're jumping up and you're bounding out of bed because you're fueling your body appropriately with wonderful foods versus restricting your body and always feeling tired and always having cravings and always, you know, finding it really difficult to drag yourself to go and do exercise where it should be something that you love doing because it's just moving your body in a great stress relief. Absolutely. Mm. Now, in terms of um, your qualifications, now I love you because you're an evidence-based practitioner as well. Do you find that since studying your, I guess, approach to nutrition or the things that you see on social media have been a little bit different because there is just so much I like to call it BS, but just fluff on <laughs> social media when you read these things and you're just like, that is absolutely ridiculous. But I think the scariest thing I've seen of late is people just using such scientific language, yeah. whereas it actually sounds legit. And then you read it and you're kind of like, oh yeah, that sounds right. Then you read it again. And you're like, no, no, that's BS. It doesn't, that's not right at all. But it, it sounds so scientific that to the lay person who doesn't really understand literature and evidence it's enough for them to go and believe that and do that, you know, take that pill or go and take that medication or do that diet because it sounds so real. Do you experience the same? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone thinks that just because they eat or maybe they have a great body or they've lost weight or they have a six pack, therefore they can tell other people what to eat. They're qualified. Yeah. And it creates so much confusion and so much fear and misinformation that it's honestly mm-hmm. scary and it's heartbreaking. And I really want to be a voice that people can trust and turn to for information that's reliable and evidence-based. Um, I really love the, um, the saying that like, if you can't explain something in a simple way, then you actually don't understand it properly. So all those people that are like using like really complex scientific terms, a lot of the time they're just, you know, they don't even know what that means themselves. (laughs) And also I want, you know, people to know that the information that I'm putting out there isn't made to support my personal bias or agenda or to make money or sell something. And I want to, deliver it in a way that makes people feel empowered and educated and not scared or guilt-tripped either. Mm, love it. And do you have any tips for our listeners at home in terms of how to, I guess, sniff out some of that BS? Like if they're following a couple of accounts and they're kind of like, I don't really know if this is legit or not. What's your advice to our listeners at home in terms of finding really great evidence-based practitioners online? Um, definitely looking for qualifications is a big one. Usually if someone's mm. qualified, they will have it in their bio. Um, that's yeah something you can look for definitely um another thing is like ask yourself what is this person getting out of delivering this information you know are they trying to sell me a meal plan or a product or um, are they trying to get me to join their program or buy their book or whatever and if that's the case then just you know take it with a grain of salt that it might not really be that accurate and if someone is just you know spreading some information just because they want to empower you and educate you, then still, you know, don't believe everything that you read, but it's probably a better indication that it's not just some, you know, superfood detox program that they're trying to sell you to make some money or some affiliate link or something like that, because you do have to be 
quite careful with with all of that stuff out there on social media these days. Mm, it's a problem, isn't it? But I love finding um, particularly great accounts just like yours and I like other nutritionists and dietitians that really do have amazing evidence-based mm-hmm. messages. And I think one of the things I love to tell clients is that when you're reading you know, a caption or you're looking at a photo, if it's not trying to sell you anything, then that, as you mentioned, is a really great place yeah. to start. And if it's something like, you know, you could try this or why don't you give this a go? Or this is, you know, some information, particularly when accounts link evidence yeah. and science and that sort of thing. I think that's quite mm-hmm. powerful as well. Although I have seen people you know quite cherry picking the evidence and sort of taking this and then um I guess adding it to this thing and saying you know this directly means this or causes this Mm. as well so I think we do have to take everything with a grain of salt and also accounts that are very black and white it's like you need to do this or you have to do this yeah yeah I was about to say when people say this is the only way and this is absolutely everyone has to do this and eat this way and those kind of things I think you can also kind of look at how something is making you feel as well when you consume or read through that stuff on social media like whether it's going to be something that's actually going to help you or not Mm. because sometimes you know the evidence might be factually correct but it's it's not something that leaves you feeling positive and inspired and empowered it's something that actually makes you feel quite down in yourself or confused then maybe it's time to step away from that kind of stuff and choose something that is going to be more uplifting even if that's stepping away from actually following that many food accounts maybe you want to do some other things like quotes and arts and other things and really stick to just maybe a few people who post pretty food and a few people who post recipe ideas and a few evidence-based um dietitians and nutritionists for food content and just stick to that yeah definitely so just doing a little bit of a good um i guess cleanup of your instagram account as well and seeing what accounts really empower you and and really create that holistic health message versus the accounts that this is my black and white approach this is the only approach that works you know you must do keto you must do gluten-free or something like that um you know that very black or white type of Mm -hmm. messaging and don't be afraid to question people as well um because i think like if someone is telling you that giving you information and telling you this is the way or this is this is what it is then you have all the right to be like okay well why or can you please like Mm. show me something to support that you have all the right to do that and then if they really believe in that and if that is really the truth then they'll have no problem with providing you with a reason or some evidence behind that Mm. and if they get very offended by that then I think that's a big sort of red flag that they are potentially trying to sell you something or they don't really understand why that's not just the only way because I have a lot of times you I'll pop something up my account and um I did something the other day saying about um gut health and how you know the diversity of plants is so important and you know whole grains and carbohydrates provide a wonderful abundance of you know natural prebiotics and things for our gut health and somebody commented something about no keto is the only way and I, and I just replied with something like um you know I'm so glad that's work for you babe like wonderful for you and she just wrote back and she's like well aren't you going to tell me about it and like aren't you going to tell me keto's bad and I was like no I'm not going to tell you anything your job is to figure out what works best for your body and if you find that that's something that you love well I'm not going to tell you otherwise and I think that that makes us great practitioners in in empowering and encouraging other people to find what works best for them um, and suits their lifestyles rather than us saying you know this is the only approach or this is the only thing that you can do yeah I love that Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Nina. I'm sure our listeners got so much out of that awesome chat. Now, on your website, you do have um, some great offers for our listeners. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about that today? Um, Yep. So obviously I have my Instagram and 
I post stories every day and posts and recipes and things on there. Um, but I also have a website and I post my recipes up there as well. My, re- my website is like my little baby. <laughs> so it's awesome guys, go and check it out. <laughs> thank you. Um, I write some nutrition articles as well. I don't do them that often just because they do take a lot of time because when I write them I do like to be quite in-depth and write quite comprehensive articles do my research and I am also practicing full-time as a nutritionist so I do Skype consult as well as in-person consult so I actually have clients from all over the world and you can find all the information from that up on my website as well and then I also have my recipe and nutrition ebooks um, which you also find through there. Nina what is your website and your Instagram handle and how do um, listeners find you if they want to reach out by email perhaps? So my Instagram is at naturally underscore Nina underscore. I'm sorry about the underscores. <laughs> Everything else is <was laughs> taken. And my website is www.naturally-nina.com. And my email is just hello Yanina. That's hello J-A-N-I-N-A at outlook.com. Wonderful. And um, so if you guys want to book in with Nina or have a consult, um, she, as she mentioned, she does them online as well and anywhere in the world as well, whether you're listening from a Australia or somewhere else in the world, um, please reach out to Nina and go and follow her Instagram. It's vibrant, it's colourful, she has delicious food and lots of free recipes on there as well. Thank you so much. That's all right. Thank you so much for joining us and we will catch you guys in the next podcast.